0: Hey Volleyball Coaches, the new USA Volleyball Coach Academy is available now. Subscribers will have access to engaging interactive modules taught by top coaches from across the country, including national team coaches and staff. From fundamentals to advanced play, all coaching content is based on the USA Volleyball Development Model to help you coach the whole athlete. USA Volleyball members will have free access to the bronze tier. When you're ready to level up, you can subscribe to the silver or gold tiers, Live online sessions are only available in the gold tier. Watch out for more information on USA Volleyball social media and the USA Volleyball website. City Colorado Springs Colorado this is the USA Volleyball Show and here are your hosts Clarence Hughes and Stephen Munson
1: and hello everyone and welcome thank it Bobby welcome guys to the USA Volleyball Show we are the official podcast of USA Volleyball and excuse my terrible Hank Hill impression we were just talking about King of the Hill and uh yeah that was terrible sorry Stephen. all 10 seasons on Hulu all right, be right back. I'm gonna go. Things uh, to watch from now. I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> all right, uh, well, yeah. yeah. This is our
1: first episode since our first live interview.
0: I feel with like audience. I, I feel like the podcast have been has been like running like a million miles an hour the last couple. It of weeks. has,
1: and you know we just gotta slow down, mm-hmm. take a step back,
0: behind the and, scenes, obviously, yeah, mm-hmm. and just just take a look back. I'm just kidding. No, we're not. Can, can you believe? Can you believe it's the end of October? Already? I I feel like October
1: just started. I feel like we were just in like we were literally just at tattered cover
0: on like the eighth. And I feel like the we the were just, I feel like we were just in Indianapolis <laughs> recording <laughs> right. at GJNC. Maybe I was just too stressed out at like, oh, I
1: gotta get over this. But yeah, Indy was a lot of fun too, just at All Star, you yeah. all as well. Mm-hmm. Wow,
0: man. Crazy,
1: yeah. It's Time almost the end of the year. Lying. It's been a it's great a, year for the podcast, though. It's been it a great has, year. It has a year of growth, a year of development, a year of progress. Yeah. I don't know why my face got so serious there. You guys can <laughs>
0: see. I'm just like game make get game face game mode. Yeah, yeah. No. It's a heck of a year for the podcast, and and thank you to all the listeners, everyone out there supporting, sharing the podcast, of course, telling people about it. Really helps. Uh, and we're just excited to keep bringing this to you, having the opportunity to bring this to you. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. You know, speaking of the
1: end of October, um, Stephen, you have any Halloween plans? I a new place? I So,
0: it's about to start an annual Halloween. Just, I'm not I'm really the saying. biggest Halloween fan, mm-hmm. um, I'm not a big I don't. I'm not a big costume person. I don't. I don't dress up, uh, I don't at least it. in the last couple of years for Halloween. I but uh, I, I do not doing kind of a minimal costume this year with a group of friends for for the party we're going to, and we're dressing Uh-oh. up uh, as SpongeBob Oh, my God. SpongeBob. All right. And, All right. and it's it's very minimal though. I'm I'm literally just I'm Sandy Cheeks. So I'm wearing a, <laughs> I'm wearing a T-shirt with Sandy on it. I'm gonna have like a little flower in my hair, but that's that's about it. <laughs> you would be Sandy Cheeks. Wow. <laughs> cheeks from texas like I <laughs> that's right that's that right hilarious yeah yeah so that that's kind of my plan uh uh my wife and i we carved pumpkins last weekend so wow Getting so that busted. was fun yeah yeah uh we're we're excited to see you know we're in a new neighborhood now too so we're excited to see if we'll get any trick-or-treaters and we'll have to have some candy out for that but yeah uh-huh. should be should be a lot of fun that's nice what about you
1: Um, no plans as of now. Um, I do have a costume in mind just in case something does happen. Yeah, Uh, definitely. Uh, way over minimal, Uh, (laughs) but, uh, it's based on a goofy movie. Do you remember that one? Oh, the extremely goofy movie. Yep. Yeah. Do you happen to know who the singer Powerline is when they they were on stage doing the dance? Uh
0: Yeah. When he wore that big yellow um, costume with the glasses, that is a oh, yeah, Curtis. writes, the Leaning Tower of Cheez. That's <laughs> that movie. Like I wanted that spray cheese so bad oh, when I was a kid. Oh, it looks so good. It looks so good, and it wasn't that good in real life. But they made it look good. <laughs> Can we also
1: talk about how good Krabby Patties
0: look. There Since you, you go, do with
1: SpongeBob. My yeah,
0: gosh. yeah. I think we're gonna get the little, you know, like the little gummy Krabby Patties. So ah. We're gonna have those uh, with us too, but. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. You should definitely uh, find some plans and and do that costume, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, enough (laughs) catching up uh, a little (laughs) bit more extensive than we normally do. Uh, But uh, let's jump right into the episode here. In case you missed it, go check out episode 47, our first ever live audience show. We sit down with Sean Murray, author of If Gold Is Our Destiny, as well as 1984 Olympic gold medalist Chris Marlowe. And the head coach of that team, Doug Beal, we talk with them about the book, uh, which details the journey of the U.S. men's program to that historic Olympic gold medal. Chris and Doug share some of their stories firsthand. Uh, it's a really fun conversation. Awesome live event. Great audience in attendance for that. And also for the first time, you can watch the episode on USA Volleyball's YouTube channel, as well as the website USA Volleyball dot org. Now, let's get to news with Hughes.
1: All right, now with news with news with the Hughes. I'm just kidding. I, went I, like, the one those, I like the little delay. I like the little one of those there. broadcaster, <laughs> those live real, broadcaster yeah. delays. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, on a more serious note. <clears throat> All right, the U.S. men's and women's sitting teams will be competing at the World Para Volley Sitting Volleyball World Championship on November fourth through the tenth in Sarajevo. We're hopeful that there will be a way to watch the event. So stay tuned on USAVolleyball.org and across USA volleyball social media platforms. Also up next, we have the US women's national team finished fourth at the FIVB World Championship after falling to Italy at three to zero in the bronze medal match. Also, a big congratulations to Chase Buttinger and Troy Field for capturing their second medal on the Beach Pro Tour. If you do not know who Chase Buttinger is, just look up the 2012 NBA Slam Dunk Contest. Hint, hint, hint. Uh, The pair won silver uh, after a 21-17 and a 21-18 loss in the final matches of the Maldives Challenge. Also... Registration is now open for the Beach Collegiate Challenge on November 11th through the 13th in Huntington Beach, California. Oh, I miss sunny California right now as we're sitting in Colorado and it's about 30. Cold, cold Colorado right weather. Right yeah. Cold Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I miss SoCal. <laughs> but anyways, this event will be held alongside the ADP Tour Series <clears throat> Pro Event and the AVP Juniors West Coast Championships that same weekend in Huntington Beach. Uh, Your chance to earn a spot at Nationals is coming up in Salt Lake City, Utah on December 2nd through the 4th. Do not wait. Register right now for the Boys Mountain Classic Junior Qualifier before it is too late. For more information on all these events and other news items, feel free to log on to the website at
0: USAVolleyball.org. Nicely done, Clarence. All right, on to today's show. We have an awesome guest for you today. This is sure to excite all our Volley Nerd listeners, especially coaches around the world. We're excited to bring you John Kessel, former USA Volleyball Director of Sport Development. In 1995, he was named Volleyball Magazine's 50 most important people in the sport in the past 100 years and in 2019, he received USA Volleyball's highest honor, the Fryer Award, which recognizes longtime significant contributions to volleyball. He coaches coaches all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's coaches coaches. Uh, that's his big thing. He coaches coaches all over the world. <laughs> Let's get right to it. Here's John Kessel. <laughs> this is uh, this is cool. Um for me, obviously, I first came into USA Volleyball under you, uh, was an assistant in sport development uh, with John Kessel. And uh, I remember you doing a lot of webinars, coaching webinars and stuff. And so I feel like I'm on one of those right now with you, which is pretty cool since we're doing this remotely. <laughs> yeah. And and, the, and COVID has gone away. I, I'll go get a little bit cooler backdrop
2: um, just <laughs> because the... The lighting is better up here. Yeah. For Zoom calls and stuff, so. Let's see this new backdrop. Oh yeah, sweet. And you can see bison. Um, so is this, this your there. land right here? Yeah, this is the land. You know, half a million acres of national forest and then our wow. little valley wow. in the middle. and. We've got, you know, 25 cabins, or not 25 cabins, 25 teepees and safari tents. And we've got, Lordy, uh, a lodge, a 150-person event center, um, three cabins, two bubble tents, two Conestoga wagons, three Buckminster Fuller geodomes. And they all have electricity and heated mattress pads. And queen
0: beds that are Tempur-Pedic and, you know, it's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. For, so for our listeners here, uh, they can't see, but the, the pictures you have behind you are the pictures of your land up in Bison, but, yeah. uh, for, and you just described everything you have on your land and, and how much land you have, but what are you doing there? Uh, in Bison? Well,
2: we you have to stay in business, especially with COVID. So what we're doing is too many corporate events and wedding events But (laughs) we're doing it to dig out of the hole of COVID. And we've done two veteran first responder retreat trainings this summer. Um, We got a grant to bring in 22 Native American tribes from uh, – 20 from the U.S., two from Canada. They're going to come on property, stay, and I'm going to do a three- or uh, four-day coaching clinic for them. Um, Wow. And they're going to, you know, have time to have breakfast, lunch and dinner together and swap stories and, you know, because they live in these so silos, cool. you know, they Yeah. Rebecca Monet, one of my favorite uh, Native American head coaches in the in the U.S. is uh, from the Macaw tribe. They live up on the farthest north, farthest um, west you can go in the continental the United States. I mean, literally seven hour drive from. Seattle to get there (laughs) and she's got a team and she's got a high school and and they're they're you know they're macaw nation and I went there 12 years ago maybe 15 years ago the first time and I've gone back about every five years now she's going to come share how she started her program with the ideas we gave from USA Volleyball how she took it to you know take their team to state now they go to state you know versus being trounced you know, that kind of grassroots development. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of the commissioners because many commissioners have Native American tribes, the Oneida in Wisconsin, the Seminoles for Steve Bishop in Florida, the Cherokee out of Oklahoma, you know, I mean, they're all over and they live in these Mm -hmm. silos and they don't get a chance to really talk. I mean, maybe they Facebook each other more now than they used to, but there's nothing like sitting together around a campfire, doing s'mores and shooting the breeze about what's been a challenge or your roommate. You know, one of the, one of the most beautiful things about the Olympic Training Center, when you do an event at the OTC, or now it's the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center, but it's, it's that you get a roommate or two and you literally stay up talking to those guys or gals to Three o'clock in the morning because you're all sort of in the same boat and you've all come to Colorado Springs, the headquarters of USA Volleyball and the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center where the museum is, and you know, all those inspiring things. And you're maybe even there to watch the team train and stuff. And I don't remember ever getting to bed before 3 a.m. with my roommates yep. just talking yep. about volleyball, you know.
0: Yeah. So, Yeah, that was that was cool. Uh, And it's been a little while because of COVID. Um, right. But yeah, when we have those coaching clinics there at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center uh, and other events, um, you'd be all of a sudden maybe uh, you were eating and you all of a sudden sitting next to Karch Karai or, or John yeah. Sparrow or someone, you know, and just talk about coaching. Bruno. I mean, Apollo, some, uh, yeah,
2: other outside of volleyball. In. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you did not take over the whole place, so you could talk to these other amazing yeah.
0: Olympians that you're having lunch with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, John, I I think we can have probably a whole series of episodes talking about what you're doing now uh, up on your land. But uh, no, no, no. We no, want to no. talk about no. volleyball. Coaching. We <laughs> want to talk about volleyball here. And uh, the first question we we love asking our guests because it's always different. How were you introduced to the game of volleyball? <laughs>
2: Ten years old, my dad was a captain in the World War II, um, sailing over to invade Japan, turned around after the bomb dropped and uh, went to USC. And he started playing volleyball doubles at Emerald Bay, which is one beach north of Laguna Beach. And I would sit there, watch him on the court, and then I would, we would hack around ourselves after the adults would leave. Yeah. And the the big push happened when I came here at, at 17 years old. I came to Colorado College and started the men's program. And a year later, a gal named Marla Borowski wanted me to start the women's program and coach it. So when I was 18 years old, I was head coaching the Colorado College women's team. Which, if you follow D three wow. now, yeah, they're uh, they're top you know top they're, ten. They're a powerhouse. A yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I started that program with the help of these ladies. And, you know, we were pennies and everything. We were terrible, but we were <laughs> passionate. <laughs> yeah, we were passionate. And and then I went up to see you and then I started working with Stu McDowell at the Lamoni National Development Camps before there was any big LTAD thing like we have now and Stu was on the cutting edge of doing that and we did did 20 camps in a summer I was telling somebody our 24 hour break was this you train in the morning with a tournament you'd have the banquet till 2 and then at two o'clock the next day the next group would come in to do skill testing and their first evening session that is a 24-hour break even though you put an eight-hour day on one end and eight-hour day on the other end it was 24 hours of no kids in the gym and you could dash up to Des Moines and get air conditioning and this is all out of Graceland College in Lamoni, Iowa where a lot of Great people have come and and coached. I mean, Doug Beal's been there, and Chris McLaughlin and and uh, Byron Schumann who started the Starlings program, Starlings USA program. They all trained, head coached, and trained the people there. And I did that for over a decade. So you you know you did twenty camps in a, in a summer, and it was a chance to test ideas. You know you mm-hmm. yeah you you did a five day nine-hour-a-day training thing, which is as long as any team has as a preseason in high school. Well, we were doing it every five days, and we were getting feedback from the players how to make it better and how to make it more fun. And 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 we evolved very quickly to make volleyball a really popular sport very quickly. That's my start, and I'm sticking to it.
1: so um just to kind of piggyback off that and you know continue into the conversation about your start um what what made you realize what was that moment you realized you really had a knack for coaching and really had a knack for impacting the game of volleyball
2: That's a great question, Curtis. I'd say it was when I made the shift from coaching 12 kids to coaching 30 of his coaches that were there, either the floor coaches or the uh, high school coaches that brought a, a player or team and came for a clinic. And I realized this is 75, 74. I realized that if I coached 25 coaches, Each who had 10 to 12 players in their program, I was impacting 250 kids, not impacting 12 kids. And I was spending the same amount of time, essentially, if not maybe even less, because I wasn't in the gym for three months. I was really intent on creating change. And the big part that also impacted me was Carl McGowan. You know, when you go into the gold room at the USA Volleyball, you look at the Olympic team photos. Carl was part of our 84, our 88, our 2008 gold medal. And his his ripple effect was Mark Dunphy, who, you know, he mm-hmm. helped in in 1988 when the gold well, Marv helped us win the gold in 2021 in Tokyo. I mean, that that group of people. I got to be involved with in the seventies. Carl was the professor of motor learning science at BYU. How do you learn faster is really what it's about. And how do you not do things the way I used to? How do I break the habit of teaching the way I was taught and teach more effectively and more efficient? Now, if Carl were alive, he'd be more black and white. He'd say that way sucks and this way is the only way. and. I'm more of a gray person that, you know, you know, yeah, you can still do that, I guess. But do you see how this is more effective than this? And some of the blogs on the website that are still there, the evolution of passing, the evolution of hitting are examples of where you would see the stuff I would do in the 70s. And as the as I write through the blog, to the end of that blog, I'm saying, can you see how this is getting the same learning happening, but way more effectively and faster and efficiently? And everybody, unless you're so stubborn, goes, yeah. And then my brain goes, well, then why would you do the other thing anymore? You only have so much time. <laughs> you know." And that I, I think it's amazing. If you ask for raw. If you, I know I've asked Doug this, how many drills does the national team do? Oh yeah. And the answer is like a dozen. And yet when I was a young coach in the seventies, when I was first beginning, when Bob Bratton's 300 plus volleyball drill book came out, I was like slathering it to get the, the book and see the 300 drills. And then he did another edition of 400 plus more drills. It was like, oh, I'm in heaven. And all I was doing was teaching my kids drills and not how to play, you know, the mechanics of the drill. And this is what you do after you do this. And And the game is kind of simple. The ball gets served over the net. It gets touched one, two, or three times, and then it goes back over the net if you want to try and score the point. You know, even if there's a block there or not, you got to try and at least get it over the net into the block. And that's really simple. Well, you know, that you guys, that net crossing happens every third hit. It starts with every serve. It goes over the net. And what did I do in the early 70s? I stood in front of the net, and I hit balls at him, and I literally trained for maybe in 1971. I probably trained an hour of every 90 minute practice, the ball never went over the net. It's what we now call, I practice so practice look good, not mm-hmm. to make my performance and play be better. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the most classic example, if people haven't heard me speak on this, it's I've asked Liberos and Karch and Misty May, or gold medal, you know, beach players and stuff, these questions. How much of yours? Let me back up. You must win the serve, serve, receive fight. As a beginning coach, if you're listening to this and you've never heard me talk, you have to win the serve, serve, receive battle. If you get 13-year-olds who can serve bullets, you'll win a heck of a lot of matches. Even if you can't play volleyball, you just serve them off the court and you win the match and the parents are happy. yay! But you got to win the serve, serve, receive battle because you also have to be able to receive their serve. Well, I spent days, weeks, partner passing back and forth in front of the net. So how much of your success, Karch, at serve receiving happens before the ball comes over the net? How much of your success, Eric Sullivan, happens? And they all answer on floaters about 80 percent and on jumpers 90 percent. So by the time the ball comes over the net, I'm either going to be Okay, it's serve receiving or I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to miss it. Well, if that's the case and you got to win this initial serve, serve receive, contact one battle, why don't you spend time serve receiving over the net? Well, because it's harder because <laughs> I don't look so <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'll even go back, you guys, to young John Kessel. I don't do this anymore, but I estimated I let my kids serve maybe. A hundred thousand, maybe more serves right below the whistle and go, Psh. all right, everybody go serve. And they'd all go back and serve. Six would serve on one side, six would serve on the other side. And they serve, 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 serve. And they serve for two, three, five, ten 10 minutes. How many of those balls got served received by young John Kessel's brilliancy and brain? And the answer was none. Not one ball got red. Not one ball got seen and then passed to us the magical setter spot. They all just got served. And I went. Missed reps. God, I wish I had those kids back. Yeah. (laughs) Because I wasn't as effective. That's all. Mm -hmm. Is it wrong to do serving? No. It's just not as effective if you don't have somebody attempting to receive it. (laughs) You know, you're more effective. Right. So that's what I, that's stuff I learned the hard
0: way. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm glad I I'm glad uh, when I started at USA Volleyball, I worked under you because I got to kind of pick your brain a little bit and hear about you. Talk about just that game like play play hey, practice game like uh, train yeah. in reality. Yeah, train in reality. Because <laughs> I would have been I would have done the same thing. I you <laughs> or I, if you remember right, uh, you uh, volunteered me to coach a a coach. 18s team in Colorado Springs uh, when I first started. (laughs) And uh, I would have done the same thing. I would have been in a drills book looking at 300 plus drills, trying to figure out how to coach this team, but really just play the game.
2: And it's gotten worse because of the Internet. And I say that because the last time I typed volleyball drill into Google, (laughs) I got 30 million choices. I think, you know, 30 million drills. Uh, I'm not only in heaven, you know, I'm going to die and go to heaven now. But (laughs) that's old John and new John obviously is going, hey, (laughs) that's not effective and as efficient. Your kids do all these drills and then they go on the court and do something unlike any drill you did when they play. Well, that ain't very effective. <laughs> you know, they're only learning when they play in front of their parents, and then the and then the kids, the kids. This is the, one of the habits, Steve. You, we probably talked about it. I'd love to get rid of this air, shank. Mm, the yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the <laughs> turn of the kids' head to the coach for the answers. That means that there's not as effective coaching going on as I make an error and then I know what I have to do to fix it myself. I don't need to look at the coach for the answer because I'm I know how to coach myself. That's a big deal.
0: Um, I, I when you were talking about the the coaching tree um, with carl mcgown uh mark dumpy and that ripple effect it got me thinking about uh your experience in volleyball and how you've seen the game grow and evolve what's been the biggest proponent for you that you've seen um that has been you know uh, made this game the volleyball game evolve over the years
2: Uh (laughs) this may sound a little weird but sport court oh um Prior to sport court being created, a USA volleyball tournament, the biggest one we had was 1983 at UCLA, where we could put it on a lot of big gym, gym campus, you know, intramural gym and other things and run it from dawn till till midnight and, you know, 203 teams. Oh, it was massive, you know, boys teams, girls teams. And then in 88, we went to Toledo, Ohio, and we tested the first two sport courts in a ballroom that had a pretty high ceiling. And we had to figure out a way to weight it. And, you know, we came up with a fill of water, the 55-gallon drums with water. Mm-hmm. And we ended up, you know, creating a, a weighted platform to put that on and stuff like that. And we ran some masters, as I recall, lower you know, balls that when it goes probably so high – matches in these ballrooms and it was on carpet as i recall too but we you know we tested it there and once you saw how that could be done without drilling into the floor of a convention center but by bringing in these plates on a truck and figuring out a way to weight them um by in 87 i ran the the junior olympics in albuquerque and we had Still a contract with Senno, and we put in 10 or 12 courts in our place. But we started to get, um, you know, that was the f- last time before sport court that we could do that and have a bigger event. Because I remember playing in Hilo in the Nationals as a player, getting lost, going to the pineapple gym out in Hilo, you know, where we just got lost in the pineapple fields. And now everybody goes to one place. Yeah. And the college coaches had to have some sort of massive grid to go, okay, I want to see player 17 blue on, you know, Pacific a nine team. And they would have to travel 45 minutes to that gym. And now they just literally mingle with their friends and walk around. And everybody knows when the top recruits are playing because there's a whole bunch of college coaches staring at that court. And then when that one's over, they move to another court, but the, uh, the sport court has dramatically changed the impact. Um, Sight out scoring was something I was involved with up till 96 when I produced the Olympics in Atlanta. The, to, to anybody listening, if you can watch that match, it was one of the best Olympic gold medal finals I've ever seen italy against Netherlands. it went five sets 17 15 in the fifth it was incredible but the problem was is that men's volleyball is held um just before the marathon ends and just before opening ceremonies it's a it's a marquee event this you know final of the gold medal match for in the olympics and this battle under side out scoring was nearing over f- nearing four hours of play. Wow. And Juan Antonio Samaranch, the IOC president was supposed to hang the medals and FIVB president Ruben Acosta came up to me and said, John, he's leaving, he's got to get to the marathon finish. And the, 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 the closing ceremonies, what can you do? And we got him a helicopter and we landed it out right outside the Omni. And he said, OK, if I can fly to the next place by helicopter, I won't worry about traffic. I'm OK. Thing finally the He hung the medals and boom, he took off. But that next year in January of 97, um, Acosta came in. Uh, Terry Liskevich remembers this. He was in the coaches group with me. We were at the FIB headquarters in Luzon. Mm -hmm. And he came in and he put his arm around um, this gentleman from Nippon television, Mm -hmm. Japanese TV. And he said, we have just signed the contract for the 98 um, world championships. The game will be two 45 minute halves with a 10 minute tiebreaker final match if needed. Hmm. Please, coaches, because we're the coaches commission, technical and coaches please make the rule changes. Thank you very much. and he walked out. he literally wow. Wow. changed the game to for you know basketball you know, yes, like, yeah. whatever, whatever you know and well, in the coaches commission happened to be the gold medal coach, Joe Alberta and Velasco, the silver medal coach. The two guys that had battled to the finals were there, and they went. Oh my God, this is not what we need to be doing right now. But we understand that what happened in the Omni—we had twelve thousand screaming fans, Vice President Gore, and all these other—and it went from huge to maybe sixty percent full because everybody had to leave and get to um, get to the ceremony, the closing ceremonies, or to the you know to the uh, marathon finish. And Dr. Costa was rightfully kind of embarrassed. So we stayed up all night. We, Joke, Liskevich, Velasco, uh, I worked with some friends that could do computer modeling. Uh, Rob was one of them out of St. Louis. And we've determined that scoring the way the game was timed back then without challenges and you know all these other things that were happening now, um, That a game to 25 would end in 94% of the time in under two hours Mm, mm -hmm. by computer modeling of it's eight points, eight seconds between serve and this and all the things that we knew was happening in the Olympic Games at the time. And so we set it to 25 best three out of five. See, part of the problem with our sport that still isn't resolved, that doesn't happen so much in juniors. Part of our problem is you play three out of five. So right. that can be an hour, that can be an hour and a half, and that can be two hours. Juniors play best two out of three. That always falls in an hour. So you can run your schedule of your tournament, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and not be too far off and not be running too late. So it was great for juniors, but the international event, 61% of the matches end in three. Well, at one end, that's good. If you had to watch two 45-minute halves of the United States playing, I don't know, Bonaire, where I'm going to go work next month for the FIVB, you know, a country of 23,000 people. 45 minutes and then come back for the second half? No, 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 I'm not coming back for the second half. This is a blowout. This is boring. This is not good volleyball. So... We got together and I explained, you know, I had just run the the Junior Olympics um, again uh, in 95 and said, you know, to a mom of a 13 year old at 4 a.m., I know it's 4 a.m., I know we're still playing, but it's side out scoring. We don't want to play until 4 a.m. We'd love to be not having, you know, your daughter just played 10 minutes and nobody scored a point. Do you want us to just flip a coin and say that's who the winner is? No, you want us to battle. So. We explained all this stuff in Africa to get a clock into African matches would be really challenging, you know, especially if you had to reset it because a ball rolled on the court. And we understood his reasons, but we explained why the shift to side out, uh, away from side out to, you know, rally scoring, which we'd been testing in the fifth set. And it's not like we didn't have any data. We knew the fifth set was rally anyway. So we knew that, but we didn't, you know, know what it would do to the whole game. And that Rally scoring and sport court has, I think, changed the game. You're not playing until – I played a match on – here at the Air Force Academy on St. Patrick's Day. We started at 8 a.m. on Saturday. The last ball hit the floor at 8 a.m. on Sunday. Wow. Side out scoring. It was men's double A. Side out, side out, side out, side out, side out, side out. We were – We, but nobody wanted to give up and quit. You know, (laughs) right? Of course not. See who is the winner, and you got to win. You only get a point when you serve. You know, so those two things have changed the game dramatically and grown it. I think worldwide.
0: That was cool to hear you talk about uh, I don't I don't think I was expecting that uh, sport court and rally scoring uh, moving away from side out. I don't think I was expecting that as your answer. Uh, I think we've asked this a couple of times with other guests and they they might talk about um, collegiate volleyball getting on TV or or more, you know, Olympic games getting Mm -hmm. getting airtime on prime time with, you know, NBC or stuff. But sure. Uh, makes sense it makes a lot of sense to, to when when going with sport court you know, and and having those courts all in one place yeah it, it's it's interesting
2: to me how we have the u s a centric view of volleyball, and that's American in anything probably you know mm-hmm. um, when the rule changed happened to rally scoring in ninety eight Every other high school, every other junior high, every other pro team in the world changed to rally scoring. Who didn't? USA College and High School. It took, I think, until 2000 before the NC2A flipped over from side out to to uh, rally scoring. And about the same time, the high school came along. But, you know, we are a, a huge sport in the world. We're one of the top three sports in the world. And you could say top two if you want to say soccer is a religion and just get it out of there. So, soccer is a religion. We got two other great sports basketball and volleyball. Those are the huge sports around the world. And, <coughs> When changes happen like this, you see the impact around the world immediately was, you know, shortening up tournaments and, you know, uh, Yope. I remember Yope and uh, Velasco saying to Dr. Acosta, look, we don't want to play for four hours. We want to play intense for two and know it's going to probably be just two and know that every point is going to be a thing that matters. And and not play for four hours because our level of play, we're not jumping as high, we're tired, we're getting injured. We don't want to play long side-out rallies. And that's a tradition that was in beach for a long time that stayed even longer because that's part of the you know, when you're in beach, it's the you know, you pull the cars up and turn the headlights on to keep the court lit so they can play until, you know, midnight because the I I watched a game, an an early AVP game. I, I think I was in Manhattan Beach but they played 21 minutes and the score was (laughs) (laughs) 0-0 because they were so good at siding out ball comes over I put it down ball comes to us you put it down that doesn't happen now I mean we may do it and yet there's some of those other excitements. If you go, I've got a clip of it. If you want to share it, I can send it to you. and You can send it out to the link or put it on the USA website. Um, a Korea pro match many, you know, six years ago or so, but a Korea pro match, the final score of the set, it was third. They were up two zero and they were playing the third and it you know it was best out of five. But what was the final score? Just take a guess you guys are pros you work at of USA the, of football. the uh of the, the third set the match or the, the third match set, the and the third set because it match
0: ended the, the third match. set uh 15-13 no nope.
1: Nope. take it away Curtis 15-13 um 8-5 to no, five. no
2: no 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 no. We're it was rally scoring rally scoring so battle, okay. battle 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 uh okay, up your numbers by lots right. more. Let's go
1: 23
0: 25. That's oh, Dave this on? is rally. This is yeah, where rally, rally
1: scored. Stavon. Oh okay. 32 30. Moss, moss, moss. What? What?
2: Go, Clarence. Clarence, uh, take it uh, away. Next all one. Right.
1: Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm going 42-40. Uh, Steven, your yep, turn. Yep. Uh, right. Oh my goodness. We're going, we're going <laughs> 58.
2: 56. Yeah, you're pretty close. I think it was 57, 55, but it might like, have been oh my me. gosh. Wow. Can you imagine what it was like to be a fan there for that? Oh, watch it's that. Oh my gosh. Match, you know? Wow. So you know that's that that's the comebacks are less. The bad matches still get done quickly and the crowd gets to say, thankfully, it's over. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they don't have to stay and watch another hour of this stuff. And the good matches still are good. And, you know, I mean, I was watching Cody and, you know, he was on the national. My son's on the national team these days, which is a big deal for him. And the comeback they had against. I can't remember now, but they they had a comeback where they were down 24-21 and they won 26-24. I mean, those are incredibly exciting points. Every single point matters. And and that wouldn't be the case in in the old scoring. So, yeah, pretty, pretty fun stuff, I got to say. Um, so, yeah, those are my two thoughts for sure. I mean, anybody that's listening, I mean, remember saying <laughs> – I also said this to Dr. Acosta in this decision-making moment in January of 97. He said, I run all these junior things for USA Volleyball. Here's what parents do now when they go to rally scoring because we were doing side out. Oh, thank God I can, I can finally keep score. Because when it was rallies, when it was side out scoring, you never knew you could in great rallies, you go, Oh, who served that ball? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You couldn't remember. You just knew that the rally was awesome. That is true. I I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. You had to put a rubber band on your hand as a referee (laughs) to keep track of who the server was. And if you go look look at the old stuff, you see him changing the rubber band so that they knew who was the serving. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) But um the rally one that the other one with parents was the parents under the old rules would say, well, I'm, I'm going to go watch my daughter's match uh, to the babysitter. I may be back in 45 minutes, uh, but I could be back in about two or three hours. <laughs> you know, It <laughs> yep. yeah. doesn't happen anymore. It just doesn't
1: happen. So let's kind of switch gears and talk about, you know, coaching philosophy in general and, you know, how we attack that, how we approach that. Uh, you know, in a few sentences, can you describe your coaching philosophy. Yeah, I can probably sum it
2: up in uh, two sentences. Okay. Never be a child's last coach and give them a love of the game. If you go 30 and 0 and half of your kids quit volleyball that next season, I don't think you're a very good coach. If you go zero and 30, And every kid wants to play volleyball the next year, I think you're a hell of a good coach. Giving them this love of the game allows them to work through less skilled coaches because they're still passionate about the game, even though the coach may be a problem. And you might want to share in this link the report that came out from U.S. Soccer um, yesterday, about the systemic abuse of athletes in the soccer program from pro all the way down to youth soccer. It's a powerful report by the US Soccer Federation on themselves, essentially, showing how kids quit sport because of the coaches' abuses. And Safe Sports has been around for years. When we started Impact, I wrote the first 25 editions of Impact. And some new coaches may not know what that is, but we sat with Bill Neville and we, wa- we were doing zero training of coaches to be better. We were just letting them teach the way they're taught or read a book. And we put together this manual increased mastery and professional application of coaching theory. And that made the word impact to make impact on a brand new coach, to give them gifts of not making the mistakes I made as a young coach. And, you know, one of those is and was um, the beginnings of safe sport to be, to make your program safe, uh, a safe place for the athletes. And a lot of coaches, Even to this day, as you see in the soccer report, teach the old punishment way, verbally abusive, physical punishment for reasons that makes no sense other than make me feel more powerful as the coach. You know, when you start to physically punish, you've stopped coaching in my book. You fail to coach. You just want to go do pushups, you know. And I still see it in USA Volleyball tournaments, coaches making their kids do sprints during timeouts, having lost the first set, you know, in between set one and set two. They're making them do sprints and push-ups and crazy stuff that is not coaching. I know why they do it. That's a totally different topic we could talk about some other time. It's in the uh, it's called regression of the mean and coaches get fooled by regression of the mean and think that I'm really i you know, if well, let's, let's, it'll only take a couple minutes. This is important. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, do. Absolutely. To okay. So, regression in the mean came out of an article that I learned from Scientific uh, American, no, Discover Magazine. They were doing an article on Dr. Daniel Kahneman, who, if you go look at him in on Google, you'll find that he's a Nobel Prize winner now. But this is before he won the Nobel Prize. He was teaching Israeli fighter pilots how to be a more effective instructor of fighter pilots. So he wasn't teaching the pilots, honestly, he was teaching the instructors how to be better instructors. That's coaching. And he told them about the power of praise and the way punishment is pretty ineffective. And he raised his hand one when the pilot raised his hand and said, with all due respect, I think what you're saying is for the birds. I praise my pilots after a good landing and they do worse. I've chewed them out in the tradition of this military flying these million-dollar aircraft. Invariably, they do better. Don't tell me punishment doesn't work. My experience totally contradicts you. And Kahneman stood back and said it was the most exciting moment of my life to realize these gifted teachers were being fooled by regression to the mean. And in a volleyball example, Clarence, you've passed 50% perfect. The other five, ten, you know, five out of 10, you pass perfectly. You go on a streak and you tend perfectly. Should I praise you now, punish you, or ignore you as a coach? I would probably praise. I would too. Absolutely. Praise is inc- Your attention is an. Your attention and feedback is the number one thing you have as a coach. So I catch you doing it right, as the title of one book even says, catch them being good. And you say, thanks, coach, or whatever. What mathematically, what scientifically, what probably is going to happen in the next 10 to you? And the answer is five out of 10. Because that's what your average is. And that's what you do most of the time. You just did 10 in a row. I praise you. And the next 10, what happens? You do five out of 10. I think I jinx you. I think I break your concentration. Hang on a second. <laughs> Lily, Lily, I'm on
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I break your concentration. I jinx you. All those things I say. The reason I'm telling this mini story right now for a new coach or a parent of anything and any coach, not just volleyball, is the flip side. You, five out of ten is your skill, Clarence. You go out and you do zero out of ten. What does a normal coach do? Substitute. Get over and sit on the bench. What, right, your, your dying grandmother is here and you're playing like this. What the heck is wrong with you, Claren? S- sit there and think about what you're doing. And I might even say drop and give me 20 push-ups, you know and so you do the physical punishment. After you play poorly, zero out of 10, mathematically, scientifically, statistically, what's going to happen in the next 10? Five out of nice. 10. So I see, as these instructors see, that my punishment worked <laughs> and my praise didn't. But it wasn't your punishment. It's science. It's the math. It's it's where your skill set is. And if you're doing nine out of 10, you're going to be having less of these bad streaks, but you're still going to have bad streaks. Look at yeah. You know, I mean, Stephen Curry is a great example of, of, of someone who has streaks and yet or Michael Jordan, you know, what did he say? He said something like I miss more game winning shots than I ever made, you know, but he shot at about 50 50. Well, he should miss about as many. And, and you know, that's. That's the reality of what we do. That's why we do sport. We do sport because we don't know when you're gonna win and when you're gonna lose. We don't know when upsets are gonna occur. We just don't know. Now, why going back to rally scoring? Why is that a huge change to our sport also? When you played side out or anything, the longer you do something is called finite Markov chains and it's in the impact manual. The longer you do something, the more likely the better team wins. That's just the way it is. That's again, the math. And if you look up finite Markov change, you'll see that if I play 50 points in tennis and you do 50 points in tennis, Steven, you're gonna win 50% of the sets, games and matches in tennis as a great example, one-on-one. But if you can get five points better than me, you win 62% of the games, 82% of the sets and 91% of the matches because of the math (laughs) it's it's just that's math and what ends up happening is that by making the games no longer four or three hours but two hours and 225 more upsets occur Mm -hmm. yeah and that's good for our sport yeah because why is soccer popular? Because Costa Rica can get a goal against the US and then hang in there and beat the United States. But if you kept playing, the better team over time will win. But you know, you can the the shorter the games, if we just played if we played to five points, there would be a ton of upsets. Because you know, lots of people get a five with zero streak on each other. So that was another reason. That we explain to not go to time but to go to rally scoring because there'll be more upsets and more of the smaller countries will upset the bigger countries and that'll be good for sport for volleyball
0: how do you and i think you touched on it a little bit too but how do you coach coaches to not regress to that mean um or even like for example coach like you were coached so like i had a coach who Benched me for missing a layup or something, you know, something like that. How do you coach coaches to not do that or make adjustments to that?
2: Part of the bronze, metal, gold, bronze, silver, gold stuff that, you know, is happening in USA volleyball is to give you the facts. Um, It's one of my first slides when I I was in North Macedonia two weeks ago and had, you know, 40 countries there and 150 coaches. It was fantastic because I didn't have to get translated. I speak English and, and, you know, get a lot of information across. And my second slide, I think, was I'm giving you information and not criticism. And if you choose to not take the information in. Great. You know, but I'm gonna tell you facts and not opinions. Mm-hmm. These are the facts that three percent or four percent of kids in high school get a college position at the NC2A level. And ninety-six or you know percent don't. These are facts. And you can choose to keep doing it the way you want. But I know that I've gotten dozens of emails back from these coaches from two weeks ago that have changed immediately and are just going, I can't believe how much my kids love the game. I can't believe how much more fun this is. I can't believe that the game does teach the game. I I can't believe I don't have to be thinking of drills, but thinking of scoring. And, you know, and then you say, well, the impact manual has 100 different ways to score. <laughs> But you don't change the drill. You make it reality-based. But it feels like a new drill when you change it to who can get through it in the less amount of time versus a bucket of 15 and a bucket of 15. How many screw-ups do you make? And the other team has the same bucket. And you're the winner because you got less mistakes in the bucket of 15. It's still the game, but it's scoring. And one of my favorites is... (coughs) It's a battle. It's it's in the manual. It's called Steal the Coconuts. I came up with it when we were doing it in Vanuatu. And they love coconuts because they, you know, drink them in the coconut milk. Right? And it's yeah. cold and it's hot. And so I put six coconuts on one side of the court and six on the other. And I said, okay, every time you score a point, you the, the winning team gets to run over and steal the coconut and put it on their side. <laughs> okay. Once all 12 coconuts are over here, you win and the game's over. But if they get the next coconut, they win the next point. They steal the coconut back. So you got to do six in a row before you get a, all the coconuts, right? Mm-hmm. It took 45 minutes. But the joy and the passion as they ran over and looked at the other team and said, ha, 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 and took their coconut back, you know. And the way they were playing when there was like two coconuts left and 10 on the other side and the oh, oh, yeah know, the pressure. Yeah. But it's just. All I did was change the scoring. I didn't change the game. We're still playing volleyball, trying to figure out the serve coming over the net, trying to deal with the block, trying to dig the ball. And I think that's one of the things that coaches fail to realize in the whole of the game. If you talk to Dave Smith, you know, the great middle blocker, and I haven't talked to him about this, but I have no doubt that if you said, what... Walk me through your thinking of whether you're going to jump on the middle or or not max or not max out and stuff. How do you do that? And it starts with the serve. It doesn't start with a coach on a box slapping a ball and hitting into the – no, none of that reading and the reading of the game to be a great blocker. You first see how the serve makes the receiver get into trouble or be perfect. Doesn't matter. And then you wonder who the setter is and who the hitters are and what the setter's tendencies are. And then once you see the set, then you decide where and where to block. But every one of those it's, uh, Cody posted a really neat thing on his curated collection about Ralph Nader, who Nader uh, rough <laughs> shows my time. The pinto explosion car of ford <laughs> raphael uh raphael what's his last name Nadal okay oh yeah, um he had this awesome paragraph of every single point is different in tennis that's why I don't drill so much as I play, you know that. Every point is subtly somehow, and it is the same thing in volleyball. No point is the same. And so the more you play and see what opponents do in those situations, the better you get at being a player at the higher level. What separates the, the best high school to college and the best college to pro slash national team and the is their ability to handle the ever increasing speed of the ball. The ball just goes faster and faster and faster as you go higher and higher up the chain. You can be a great player at college, but can't handle the speed of the international players. And that's and but it's all about reading. I mean, you've probably heard it before on this this broadcast, but what's the number one skill in volleyball? It's not serving. It's not passing. It's reading. It's figuring out what the opponents or my teammates are doing and coming up with the, the most effective solution for that point and and having all these tools in my quiver of experience to do other things so Ask away. Come on. I'm I'm into this now even more. Didn't do it at the beginning, but I'm way into it now.
1: So I actually have a, a scenario and I can use some feedback on. Um I, I'm not sure if you're aware of, but I uh I'm a cup, a club cup coach. Wow. Well, club coach, and I also coach uh JV at a local school or over here in Colorado Springs. Well thank so, you. So that's awesome. So, so we just um we just beat uh, a high school last Thursday in three set. It's in three sets. So, you know, thrilling three setter. We won the first set, dropped the second set, and then we won the third set um, yeah, 15 yeah. to 13. So, you know, obviously a nail biter. Um, we had a quick little interaction with one of our outside hitters who she wasn't having a bad game, but she wasn't getting set a lot. So, one, you know, that obviously kind of, her mental state of mind into play because she only plays front row and we have somebody else play ds for her in the back row yeah, yeah. so uh we were going through i think rotation and the, the team was catching up And i think they got it within like one point then i had to make the sub to put the ds front row so i pulled her but i didn't yell at her i told her just take a second to reset you know the game's very close we need to get this pass right now and then she just kind of broke down and You know given that the score was very tight given that the situation was very high pressure um again i didn't take the time i didn't yell at her i didn't you know talk down to her i just told her let's take this quick moment to reset because you can go back in the game in any moment and i need you to do what you do which is be an outside hitter and she kind of just went into the tank and um our ds you know got the pass we needed and we were able to pull away and win But in that situation, um, I got some feedback by saying that she she felt like she wasn't able to help her team and she was very down on herself. So uh, like how how as a coach do you help pull somebody out of that state of mind? Wow. In that situation. What a great
2: reality based moment. Um, I'd say, Clarence, that this truly begins with the culture of your team, you know, I've got a dear friend, Dan Coyle, who if you're a parent listening to this, his book, The Little Book of Talent, is an awesome book for kids and parents to know how to develop your child in any sport. He's written the talent code. He's written the culture code. And he wrote. The talent code New York Times bestseller because of talent spots all over the world. What do they do the same? And then he realized that culture beats talent for lunch, you know, eats talent for lunch. Culture beats talent. So it starts with the culture of your team and Karch is maybe one of the best coaches I've ever seen at this, even though he gets strength from Susan and Aaron virtue and neat people around him like Marv, creating that culture. He has made the culture of that women's program. And John has done the same thing with our men, to be truly a team. But it was Kathy DeBoer that wrote a book on gender differences. You are in a classic example, Clarence. You are a male coaching females. Okay. And in order to get the most out of your female team, whether you're a male or a female coach, you first must bond them. They must be bonded together. And if you bond them, they will battle like crazy. The three of us talking here, we're guys, you know, with Laura off, we're guys. <laughs> we battle to bond, we fight, we slug. And then we'll go have a beer. No problem for women. It's different. And there are women that battle to bond and there are men who need to bond in order to battle. Don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about the biology of my world as a biologist, that females are more important than males in a species. If I go hunting and shoot a hen, I'm out either duck hunting or pheasant hunting. If I can shoot 10 males and no problem for the species because females are more important. So they, they need to stay, you know, they, they, the species survives. The brain is designed in all these species to protect the female and the male is the risker because of that. The biggest line I'm going to say here, I think in some ways that I learned recently, I think I learned it from Karch or Susan Enquist, um, and that is that you don't call your subs subs. What do you call them? Game changers. That's why you're being subbed in to change the game. So it gives everybody a right and a role to come in. I'm not subbing you out because you're the the player on the bench is better. I'm subbing you out to see if I can change the game right now. You said she felt pretty bad, which she obviously did. I think I would have in my world. I there's there's almost two philosophies. If you co this is a pretty important statement, I think. If you coach the player, the skill will develop. If you coach the skill, the player may not develop. I coach to develop leadership. I coach not for the results as much as the process of developing kids that are independent thinkers and can coach themselves and positive teammates and all those things that sport can provide if you let it out. So I might have left her in if it were the normal pattern of rotation, which I sounds like it was off by one or something. I might've left her in and lost that point and been okay with that. Mm -hmm. And then I would be dealing with clearly another problem of, oh, I can't believe I lost that point. (laughs) But, you know, I raised two Great kids, and I've been stepdad to three other great kids. E.C. is the uh, you know associate head coach over at the Air Force Academy. My stepdaughter, Elise Richardson, and my son is a very good volleyball player. My daughter was played in college too, but knew she wasn't going to be pro, and you know is now a Mountaineer. Here's the reason this is so important to anybody still with us after this babble for hour or so. You know, here's the reason it's so important with Cody if he does 9 wrong and 1 right what does Cody talk to me about the one did you the one see wrong, that the one? the one wrong oh my son will just sit there and go did you see that one Cody you did 9 wrong i know but did you see that one it was so awesome my daughter will do 9 right and 1 wrong then what does she say? I can't believe I screwed that up. I can't believe I did that one. So where does that go back to leadership or why I coach in part? Because I want my daughter. If Cody looks at a job application, sees 10 things you got to be able to do, and he can do two. He goes, I got this job. That's mine. And he's only got two of the things on the list. My daughter, until I push her, until I guided her to to understand how she thinks differently and needs to overcome it. If she had six, she wouldn't apply. I don't have enough. I need seven or eight or nine or else I'm not going to apply. And that uniqueness of, hum, of the way our brains are wired generally in the bell curve of humans. Again, there are, um, uh, April Heinrich, I worked with her and she was an incredible, got of Denver, you know, played high school in Denver for in soccer for my, my setter, who was a soccer coach. Um, and I worked with her all the way through the Sydney Olympics. When she went to North Carolina, she ripped through everybody in every drill and beat everybody in every competitive drill. And the seniors came in to Anson's office and said, what what are you going to do about April? Because she was just dominating everything and ripping through them. And he said, clone her, which that's a good answer. But he had to explain that, you know, we need to be competitive as heck on the court and still be – prom princesses and still be friends. And, you know, I mean, I was (laughs) I was talking to Jake Lee, the guy that property manages a lot of our of our place up there, firefighter. Mm -hmm. His 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 girlfriend doesn't want to, uh, you know, do some things that are risky because she's afraid of failure. And and I said, you know, Jake, we're just wired differently. If a woman stands up at a dinner table and says, I'm going to the bathroom. Three other women will raise their hand or something and say, I- I'm going with you. And nobody thinks anything of it. If a man stood up and said to the table, I'm going to the bathroom, every guy would look at him and go why the hell are you telling me about this? And then if you, Stephen, said to Clarence, I'll go with you, we'd all go, oh, what the hell is going on here? This is not This is not right. We're different. It's We're not ants. I, I can't imagine dating as an ant. Oh, there's a nice one. Oh, there's a nice one. Oh, there's a nice one. They're all identical. You know, we're so different, but we're different in our gender. So when we coach women, we guys we have to have this this networking thing on and the example we use in impact is when Karch or somebody was told, hey, we got to win this point, Karch goes, yeah, I'll win this point type stuff. And if you single out the gal and say you're supposed to win this point for us, most gals go, no, hey, 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 don't be putting this on me. We're a team. We're a team here. This is a team effort. Don't be singling me out because you're breaking the network. You're breaking the the, the web of, of the family, of the team. So possibly um, I would have left her in. And then just dealt with the consequences, and not, you know, because I'm I'm not only um, I'm not only calculating the math of it to a degree, but I'm also just, it's different than Karch. Karch has to win the gold medal while he develops leadership, and he's doing an incredible job of that. But I know that in the '88 and '84 Olympic matches, gold medal matches and the entire tournament. There's a roster of 12 in the 84, Ari Salinger, one player, Linda Chisholm did not play a point. And so in the gold medal match in order to, and her parents were there and she was warming up everything, but you know, it's results then. Right. And so Ari put her in for a serve. So she could get her certificate of that. I played in the Olympics. Same thing happened with Janie Gibson, as I recall, in uh, 88. Liskevich put her in to serve one point or a back row one time. And then that was it. Because the starting six have to win. And the game changers are sitting on the bench. So it might have been something when you did the ds in the way you you know at the time that i'm bringing in this game changer for this point for this statistically this rotation for this if it doesn't work i'm going to put you back in type thing or something and of course you won the point and so that kind of becomes moot. it's it's more i think how we sit on the bench with them or how we work with them in practice to understand their roles the team the coaches that define roles really clearly and i think karch and john are really good at that on our national team Um, the coaches that define roles have much more success and much more team bonding because the players know their roles and know what it takes to get to the next level of their role perhaps as well and it, it it's a big deal for the the an athlete to be subbed out at any time. What I heard you say was you know she felt like she let her team down because she couldn't be in there to to support him and I think if the culture of your team has open communication and stuff. Uh, the players probably would be the best ones to say to her, no, this was a coaching change for all of us. And you were just an important part of it because you're, you're a starter because you're one of our outside hitters. You're really important to us. Look at these stats. You had seven kills. I was making a tactical change at that rotation that I thought would win the game faster than if we kept it the way it is. So Cody right now on Berlin, when he doesn't start, Cedric puts him in almost every game at 22 and 23 to be the game changer, to be the block, bigger, more physical blocker and stuff. And then he goes out and he doesn't play until the next game at 22 or 23. So, um, you know, he. I think he knows in that sense his role because he can pass, he can hit, he can play defense, he can play opposite, he can play outside. You know, he's a versatile player, and any coach would die to have a player that you know loves the game as much as Cody does, and also can be plugged in into different places. Um, defining roles might be something that you take the kids out to. Fargo's pizza or something and say, hey, let's talk about rules," or, or bring the pizza into the gym, you know, and speak about, um, am I clear? Does everybody know? You know, put it back on you. Um, you know, I can't do it for you, but I will always be here for you. I can't do it for you, but I will be here for you. So let's talk about this scenario where, you know, we do this is there a better way to do this as a team or are we all, do you understand why I did this or why I might do this the next time? I'm not, what we see is poor performance, poor performance, poor performance out of someone that's high. And then the coach subs them. And I tend to just, because I'm not having to win the Olympics, <laughs> and I don't have somebody who has equal fifty, you know, kill percentage sitting on the bench, and I can plug him in. Uh, you know, it's a drop off, or it's a change in spirit of the team and everything. If I make a sub, I have to understand my subs a little bit different. Um, that it's a little bit harder. And as Carl would say. This is not rocket science. This is way harder than rocket science. <laughs> rocket science, to hit that asteroid, the dimensis or whatever asteroid, all they had to do is calculate weight and speed and rotations and they do all this thing and nothing of that stuff changes by other than point zero 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 one percent That's what rocket scientists get. We get, if you're coaching 13s, and you're listening, please understand that your amazing kids may win, because I'm telling you a story that happened to me, may win 25-0, and then the other team starts serving, and I lost 0-25. How does that happen? It's a sport, it's random, and 13-year-olds have way bigger variance than the national team. everybody's working to make their variance smaller and smaller and smaller. But when one team's variance overlaps, another team's variance, that's where the upsets occur. Even though I'm better than them, nine, out. what do they say in the NFL? On any given Sunday, right? Yeah, right. Well, it's the same thing in junior volleyball. On any given match, if you're much better, finite markup chains, you're going to win a huge percent. But if you're not as good – you'll win which 13 year olds usually aren't as skilled yet (laughs) i've won 25 zero and watched myself sit on the bench and lose 0 25 and smiled through the whole thing and just thought this is sport you know
0: (laughs) that was awesome that felt like uh like we talked about at the top of the the episode here um coaching clinics and uh the the Olympic Paralympic Training Center that felt like we were in the in the cafeteria together. Uh, Clarence just asked a real life question. Yeah, oh, that was really cool. And you know, and we learned
2: too. And if there's anything, Karch did almost incredibly better than any other coach we've ever had. In front of his team, he says, "I screwed up." He's not afraid to say, "Well, that didn't work," you know, and it's my bad. And too many coaches want to be almost infallible in front of their players instead of being able to say, you know what? That wasn't my best choice. I learned from it. Thanks um, for being part of my team. I love you all. And let's get on with it. And, you know. You know, I've got a drawing. I think it's up on the it's in the mini volleyball book you can get in English or Italian or Spanish. It's up on the website. You know, USA Volleyball still free of charge. So you can print it. and it's got a drawing that we did to learn about more than just, again, the player itself, but as the person and. I want to develop the person, not the player per se. I want to develop the person. And I said it in a different way that if I coach the skill, the player may not develop. But really, if I coach the skill, the person may not develop. But if you coach the person, the skill will develop. I promise you. it will develop to you coach the person. So to know about these kids, I hand out this thing back to back. I just did it in North Macedonia to learn about the coaches. You know, what's your favorite number? What's your favorite candy? And I was thinking about this with your athlete that if I knew my player's favorite um, candy and that situation, she was upset or crying. I might've been able to pull out a tootsie roll and say, you played awesome. Here's your, here's something that might help because the team knows that this is your favorite and, you know, let's, let's, uh, take a break and, and, uh, celebrate the win as a team. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you knew her favorite candy or you knew new things about her, you know, and in that it says, what can I do for you if you're having an off day and, you know, players write individual things, what you can do if they're having an off day. and. You, you don't learn that, you learn it quickly when you read it, not learn it the hard way by going through it you know? yeah, yeah. That's, awesome. A, that's awesome It's a pretty cool sport we've chosen,
0: you know? yeah yeah well we're uh we're coming up on time, but I wanted to ask you because um. You, you mentioned you wrote the first 25 editions of Impact. Uh, USA Volleyball just launched uh, the USA Volleyball Coach Academy, and I know you're involved in that as well, just in a live, a gold live session. I'd be curious uh, to hear your, your thoughts, your pitch, if you were talking to a coach, a new coach, you know, at any level, a coach at any level. Why should they want to, you know, be involved in Coach Academy and learn from Coach Academy? <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, it kind of goes back to my Native American, you know, plan with this program. Um, you. I have a group of friends that I communicate with a lot about coaching, and the group name is called Ancora Imparo, which means still learning in Italian. And I learned it that Michelangelo was saying it when he was sitting there up on the uh, Chistine Chapel painting away, and said, I'm still learning. And here he is, the greatest painter in the world is still learning. So
0: hmm. just lost, uh, lost John. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You're back.
2: I have no idea what just happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the joys of technology, as we talked about earlier. Yep. Am I on video wise too? Yep. Yes, you are We're on, okay. and we are recording, so we can pick up back where where we left off. I'll splice that back
2: together. So, yep. <laughs> so I was talking about Michelangelo that he's still learning. I think the sign of all great coaches, and I include. You know, many of our junior and national team and and coaches within the pipeline is that they're constantly working on learning. And the Coach Academy is this chance to learn without having to necessarily go to a clinic or travel all that way and listen. And if you pick up just one or two things from each session, that's in my book, that's worth it. I mean, I, you know, it's incredibly valuable to get those tips that'll help you for the rest of your career be a, be a little bit better. Um, you know, we've, we've got this thing called long-term athletic development in around the world. Um, the U S calls it the American development model. Um, what I, I've learned and Peter Vint is, you know, a fantastic leader of the as chief of sport for a lot of this coaching education and Dave McCann and Jordan and everybody that are doing these things with, you know, I'm on the Beach Nation staff and we got Todd Rogers and some great collegiate coaches on the beach side. What we share is information so that you stand on our shoulders so that you don't have to make the same mistakes we made. You know, And that's incredibly valuable. And, you know, because you're still going to make mistakes. That's not to not think that you're going to not make mistakes is crazy. It's just part of everything in doing we're learning. So I think the Academy is doing a good job of capturing that, especially the stuff that is more science-based and more reality-based and not just a hodgepodge of drills, but drills that matter, drills that, you know, you can do in just a short time. You know, you have me write blogs every now and then, even though I'm, you know, retired and I've got one that I'm working on called, what if I only have one hour? And what if you only have an hour a week? How do you teach volleyball? And I can tell you this, that anybody listening should spend some time on the beach side, the beach nation side of the USA Volleyball's programming or whatever, seeing how beach players develop, because that makes you a well-rounded player. I'm down here in Bonaire, and all I'm really focused on isn't the six-on-six game. It's developing the two-on-two to get their six-on-six team to be stronger. (laughs) You know, that's how you get better faster. And Cody, you know, here's three names that we know. Karch, I don't think he started playing six on six until he was about 14. He played doubles. Maybe he started earlier, but I don't think so. Misty, she played doubles with her dad, and she probably started playing at 12 or 13, but she'd been playing doubles since she was eight. Cody, he didn't start playing really six on six until he was about 16. He played doubles. So doubles makes you a great six on six player. You have to you, you got to develop all your skills. You can't hide and you can't get subbed out <laughs> like you were talking before. A players. lot of reading, you know? like you mentioned. And yeah. you got to yeah. learn. You got all these constant reading. And yeah. so it, there's just a the long term athletic development. ADM for us model says keep as many. This is for any club. In any high school program, keep as many kids as long as possible in as healthy and safe an environment as possible. That's what you got to do to create a pipeline of the future, because you don't know when they're young, who's going to be great. And to cut kids at 13 or 14 is a tragedy that we need to address and keep coming up with other ways so that they don't get cut. And that may include YMCA programs when you're 12, 13, or 14 and you think you're out of it, but you don't know you're out of it until you're out of it at the age of 80 and over. Remember, they're playing national championships for the 79 and over. Oh, that's right. Volleyball. You, have that <laughs> yes, <I am. laughs> you have time to get better. is running
0: that tournament. Yes I am you have time to get better. Yeah. That was awesome. John, thank you so much for this has been incredible. Dropped a lot of knowledge on okay. us uh, in this uh I don't it's been a little over an hour I think. I think we could spend a lot more time and and really dive into some cool stuff, but absolutely. We'll have to have you back on uh in a future episode for sure. Yeah, I'm out of the. Country, you're up for it. November, If we haven't scared you away so far.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm out of the country in November, and otherwise, I'm pretty much around. And uh, we have three Starlink, Elton Musk Starlink systems up at the lodge. So awesome. I, yep. I have plenty Get of service. bandwidth. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, plenty of speed, and can can chat when i'm up there or, or we can set up a volleyball court and play some doubles up there too so That'll you guys awesome. have to come up and visit it's 60 mile drive from this from the uh, usa volleyball office is all it is and you get there in less than an hour and 15 minutes and you know hike around and do 3d archery with us and do fly so fishing cool. in our pond and and uh, you know play ne- aspen pinecone putt-putt golf on our golf course and <laughs> yeah Cody's got that Jimmy built where he's got the all this wood and elk antler stuff that he was lifting and doing and training when he had COVID and was oh out gosh. of training cool. and he couldn't keep training and so there's a lot to do up there in addition to seeing some pretty beautiful country with nobody else around you. so come on up just tell tell me when Margie comes up about once every two or
0: three months, Margie Mara. Come yep. on up there, catch a ride. <laughs> we'll do a little carpool. That that'd be awesome. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, John. All right. Where can so uh, where can my people lunch. really quick, where can people communicate with you, reach out to you if they have any questions uh, about coaching or, any, or anything else? Yeah, it, my email is pretty simple, John underscore Kessel at
2: MSN dot com. Um And obviously the website has some of these blogs that we've restored and keep regenerating and stuff because they're pretty timeless for the most part. The game doesn't change that much. Um, And, you know, get you to think. I mean, I, I was just flashing on the stuff I did in North Macedonia about free ball training. And I thought if they'd read the blog about stop teaching free balls, they would be winning more matches but I brought it to life in front of all these coaches I'm just thinking they could have read the blog or <laughs> see the little bronze clip on why we don't do free balls the way we used to <laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah and then I'm on Twitter too but I you know mostly sharing most of my ideas
0: through USA Volleyball still and awesome. Beach Nation as well That's great. All right. Thank you so much John and um I'm sure we'll have you on a future episode as well uh we'll have to get up to to bison thanks for the chance to stream of
2: consciousness think about my last 50 years in volleyball or 50, <laughs> yeah. 50 plus years in volleyball and for the chance to uh you know see you guys especially thank you for coaching the kids clarence that you just did you know they uh they don't care how much you know about volleyball, you guys. They care. They they care about much you care about them. That we also know. So, keep up the good work.
1: Thanks, awesome. John.
2: Thank you, John. Au revoir.
1: Okay. Hasta Bye. la
0: vista. <laughs> Thanks, John. Bye, guys. Bye. Wow. Just uh, I feel like just like a wealth of knowledge was dropped on us uh, in that in that uh, conversation with John and. And I feel like we just scratched the surface with what, you know, where that conversation could have gone to, which uh, we're definitely going to have to have him back uh, to talk more specifically on certain topics. But just his... um just kind of the nuggets, uh, that he, you know, a couple of them, you know, where he was just saying, don't be a player's last coach, uh, stuck out to me. Um, don't be the reason that you uh, make a player quit volleyball. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that's just huge and, uh, really stuck out for me. And I, I remember he's actually, he actually said that when I, when I used to work with him too. Um, I remember him saying that a few times at coaching clinics, um, it's just just so cool and and <laughs> something i i never even thought about was the uh when we asked him you know what were the in his opinion what were the biggest what's the biggest proponent for the growth of volleyball uh in the US and he said sport court uh, I just, I never thought about that, but it makes so much sense, uh, the ability to have courts transported easily, you know, with just those little tiles that we have at our own events too, with sport court. Um, and you can probably speak to that too, uh, witnessing a lot Woo! of those setups, uh, but oh, just yeah. to have all those courts in one place, uh, so you're not going to different facilities, uh, traveling to different facilities to, for each game. It's really That's cool. hundred percent true. And you go, know, you go
1: based on court size, you can easily have just your standard court and, a super jumbo court for a national championship. You can get creative with the colors, the patterns, everything, and you know just remember somebody's always laying the court down and got to <laughs> definitely appreciate and love the equipment staff and crew um that are you know just scheduled at each event who take the time to do all that stuff it is a lot easier but it is still not easy you know you got 165 courts at any event like sunshine and 16 at an event like um all-star championship this past year uh in Tulsa so wow. there's a lot happening yeah. <laughs> but yeah that was a really good comparison and Just to kind of go off of that, I mean, his direct feedback that he gave me in my situation that, you know, I was in his past year coaching and I'm still closing out my my first high school year of, uh, you know, varsity and junior varsity volleyball. It's been it's been a learning journey as well. And, you know, just. Feedback from speed of the game to how to coach, how to um, approach coach coaching. Excuse me, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, direct quote. And now I'll kind of cut it there because, again, like you said, the interview does speak for itself. But you know, they don't care about how much you lo- know about volleyball. They care about how much you care about them, and that's something wow. that really has to tie into your
0: coaching philosophy, no matter what level of volleyball you're coaching. That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Mic drop right <laughs> Mike there. Mic drop. Yeah. That's why at the at the start of this, I I uh, said that uh, hopefully all the volleyball nerds out there, volley nerds out there are just mm-hmm. excited for this episode because he really digs into some great stuff. Absolutely. And uh, especially coaches around the world. Uh, certainly excited for this conversation, but just wanted to. Uh, I guess before we get to the wrap up here, a little reminder, if you're looking for more from John Kessel, uh, the USA Volleyball Coach Academy uh, has several sessions uh, featuring John uh, available right now in all tiers, uh, and he's working on more to come, uh, certainly. And uh, he actually just had a Gold Live session for all Gold tier subscribers. Uh, So definitely check out the USA Volleyball Coach Academy. If you're looking for more from John and other coaches uh, from around the world, Um, some great stuff right there. Uh, Mm -hmm. And three tiers available and USAV members uh, get discounts on all the tiers. And the bronze tier is actually free for all mm-hmm. USAV members so check that out for sure Absolutely. Uh, yeah just a big thank you to john for spending the time his time to talk with us uh, we hope you all enjoyed listening to our conversation you can find more of john's knowledge uh advice thoughts on a wide range of topics in his blogs on volleyball.org. he is active on twitter at John Kessel USAV and of course he left his email for us uh, at the end of our conversation so feel free to flood his inbox with questions uh, he will certainly answer your emails i can I can attest to that <laughs> <laughs> now on to upcoming events the beach pro tour dubai challenge two october twenty seventh through the thirtieth the beach Pro tour elite sixteen Cape Town November second through the sixth. Norseca Beach Tour, Hato Mayor, November 3rd through the 7th. World Paribaly Sitting Volleyball World Championships, November 4th through the 10th, where again, like Clarence said at the top, we're hopeful uh, that there will be a way to watch uh, those matches. So stay tuned to USA Volleyball social media and the website USA for updates. The Beach Pro Tour Elite 16, Uberlandia, November 9th through the 13th. Norseka Beach Tour Cayman Islands, November 10th through the 13th. Uh, the USA Volleyball Men's and Women's Beach Collegiate Challenge in Huntington Beach, California, November 11th through the 13th. A few Beach Tour uh, Junior events coming up uh, for us, the SSOVA October Halloween BRQ, St. Pete Beach, Florida, October 29th through the 30th. Mad Sand Juniors BRQ in Plano, Texas, November 5th. The SSOVA November BRQ, Sand Key Park, Clearwater, Florida, November 12th through the 13th. Good luck to everyone. More details on all those events and all other upcoming events can be found at Volleyball.org. Well said, Stephen. Thank you. Take a sip of water. <laughs> I'm going to take a sip of water right now. <laughs> take a sip of water. Take the rest of the day off.
1: That was, that was great. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, just want to get into a few more indoor club event reminders on the registration side of things. Uh, as of today, registration is now open for all of our national qualifiers that we host on the volleyball side of things. Starting with the 2022 Boys Mountain Classic Qualifier in Salt Lake City, Utah. Up next, we also have registration open for the 2023 Salt Lake City Girls 18s qualifier. Yes, it is also in Salt Lake City, Utah. (laughs) Uh, Weekend one and weekend two of the Sunshine Classic qualifier in Orlando, Florida. We also have week one and weekend two of the ASICs Show Me qualifier in Kansas City, Missouri. And last but not least, we have weekend one and weekend two of the bigger 11s through 17s Salt Lake City qualifier event in Salt Lake City, Utah. Registration is now open for all of these qualifiers. Uh, I believe we're getting into the thick of our national championship um registration dates opening relatively soon at some point in December. Dates are TBD, but you can go to usavolleyball.org for more information on dates, divisions, and deadlines. Again, usavolleyball.org. A reminder you guys can listeners, you guys can listeners. <laughs> wow what is one of those days one of those days it is all right (laughs) one more time reminder listen if you guys can rate review share this podcast with your friends families teammates it has really been helping this podcast grow you know from our first ever uh live recorded session with our live studio audience to all these interviews with national team players and volleyball um just impactful individuals on on all sides of volleyball. Um, we thank you all for your support there. Remember you guys can also chat with us. if you know a club you want to be featured. if you have a topic you want to specific to, to specifically talk about um, email us at the USAV show at USAV. Dot org. You can leave us feedback. Let us know how you're doing. You know, if there are having topics you don't want to hear about, let us know hey, you know, that was a great attempt and we don't want to hear about that again. You know, you're not going to hurt our feelings here. Um, you know, we're very interactive and we want to set these episodes up to really highlight what you guys want to hear as listeners and friends of the pod. So don't forget uh, the USAV show at usav.org. Our episodes drop every other Wednesday. And until next time, thank you all for listening to this episode of the USA Volleyball Show. We are the official podcast of USA Volleyball.
0: This has been the USA Volleyball Show with Clarence Hughes and Steven Munson, produced by Curtis Ward. Our content producer is Laura Fawcett. Our marketing lead is Bree Jay Cox. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate and review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the USA Volleyball Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.